Welcome back to Distinctly Detroit, a podcast on what makes one want to be in the D. I am your host, Katie Benjamin, from the University of Michigan Detroit Center. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Lonnie Dixon, the Director of Performance Excellence and Patient Experience at St. Joseph Mercy Open Pontiac for Trinity Health. Lonnie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Katie. I appreciate it. Yeah, so why don't we start out? Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and how you ended up where you are now? Okay. Well, um, let's see. So um, I have an undergraduate degree in industrial and operations engineering from the University of Michigan. Um, And after I graduated, I was actually a stay-at-home mom for about six years and I was a little older when I graduated. So during that time, I spent a lot of time involved with my professional organizations and kind of found out that one of the friends in industrial engineering at the time was healthcare. And so the first position that I took ended up being um, in healthcare. And so I started at Henry Ford Health System as a management engineer um, and kind of just cut my teeth there and and learning how to improve things in healthcare. And my career has stayed along that path. And so it just has taken me to a couple of different organizations. I worked with Cross for a short while and now I'm at Trinity and I love it. All right. And can you explain for those who may not know what industrial and operations engineering is? Mm-hmm. All right. So industrial and operations engineering is all about the study of systems and processes. Um, and it has a bunch of different branches, some of them being human factors and um, optimization. Um, so we are the engineers who are who can go into any environment Um, assess what's going on, gather data, and figure out the most efficient way to do things with reducing waste. And as we know, as, you know, healthcare changes, we need to learn how to do less, I mean, more with less. And so we specialize in that. Mm -hmm. And so what now are you doing kind of on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. So right now, um, I work with a small team of what we call uh, performance excellence consultants. And they have a a myriad of backgrounds. Some of them are engineers, some are physicians, some are nurses. And basically, we um, seek out what our senior leadership's biggest uh, priorities are for the hospital. And so basically, we do that. We go in and we partner with people who work in the departments, the leaders in the department, frontline staff in the departments, other doctors and nurses to um, help them solve their problem. So we start by getting the background and overview of what the problem is. And sometimes we find out things that they think are a problem might not necessarily really be a problem. It might just be a, a, um, um, a, a factor of communication that's missing. So you think something's not working, but it's not really that it's not working, it's that the right people aren't talking about what is working. So we go in, we do the background and overview, and then we do what we call root cause analysis, where we kind of help them to break down what the problem really is. Um, and, and we do that, a simple technique that we use is asking why five times. So if it's like, uh, we aren't getting patients through the ER fast enough, why? Well, they are sitting outside in the waiting room for two to three hours. Well, why are they there for two to three hours? Oh, it's because this paperwork isn't done in this amount of time. Well, why can't that be done? Or why isn't that done? So we do that root cause analysis and then we help them walk through what we call countermeasures, things that they think can fix the problem. And then we help them through project managing processes to um, keep up with those projects, right? To figure out what tests of change they can test and figure out what happens when they do those small tests of change and how they can uh, sustain anything that they have improved. Okay. And you mentioned kind of why you got into the healthcare field, but what got you into engineering in this specific field of engineering? 
So um, I, I always, when it, whenever anyone asks me this question, I always say that healthcare has been a mechanism for me to use my nerd girl powers for good. So like, I'm very much someone who loves spreadsheets. I love math and science. Like I'm a nerd to my core. Um, but I kind of was not really fascinated by the idea of going to do that in an auto plant or a manufacturing plant or kind of being, you know, dealing with machines. So uh, healthcare was a great way for me to, what I say is use my nerd powers for good. I like that. What, why, I guess, what, where do you think the, your nerd powers as you're putting it come from? Like what kind of got you into then wait, you're calling a more nerdy field. I don't want to call it that. But. No, it's okay. Yeah, so STEM fields for girls, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's funny. So I am a, a very much a middle child. I have an older sister, older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister. And so when the holidays came around, like I was the one who always wanted to put everybody's toys together, or I was the one who was taking clocks apart in the house. Like it's just kind of always wanted to know how things worked. Um, but the funny thing about that is that, you know, I'm a first generation college student. And so yeah, I knew, I mean, my parents knew that I had a knack for this and so did I, but I don't think anybody knew to tell me what to go do with that, right? right. And so I think um, it was really a, a blessing that uh, while I was being recruited as a high school senior to all of these different colleges, I remember that the recruiter that I worked with from the University of Michigan, she's like, oh, you have like great math and science scores. She's like, have you considered engineering? And it was just like, eh you know, not really, but if you say I'm good enough for it, like, sure. But the other thing though, I would say was a factor is um, the Detroit area pre-college engineering program, which my mom signed me up for without my knowledge um, one one summer, I think it was maybe the summer between my 10th and 11th grade year. And I spent a couple weeks on Michigan State's um, campus um, studying kind of pre-engineering classes and, and uh, we were uh, mentored by engineering students. So those two things were kind of my first kind of um, inkling or idea that engineer might be something that I would be interested in. And so just kind of took it from there. It was kind of like, okay, you say this was what I should do. Okay. I was impressionable, but I'm glad that I did it. I'm, I'm totally glad um, that I did it. And I wish that uh, more young people would not be afraid of disciplines like engineering, because um, I think it's one of the few disciplines where, you know, you're a problem solver. Like in layman's terms, that's what it means to be an engineer is that you solve problems. And every business and every industry needs people who solve problems. Right. I think it's funny the the stories that I've heard of kind of you know, random things here and there that lead to now your whole career, like your mom signing you up for something that you didn't even know. Yep. I always think it's funny when that leads to something so much bigger that you could never have imagined at that point. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little more about what you're doing now. And can you, in, you know, I, I'm sure this could be a very long explanation, but mm-hmm. in not too many words, can you explain why you think what you do is so important to the healthcare field? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really do think that it's important. And I think that it's important to have people with skill sets outside of healthcare providers in healthcare to come in with a fresh set of eyes. So, you know, you have uh, physicians and nurses who 
are, you know, great essential workers and they do what we need, right? Our lives are in their hands, right? Mm -hmm. And so when they're doing that day in and day out, they're not necessarily looking for ways to do those things better or faster or, you know, or um, at less expense. Like they are there to, to care for people, right? So I think that having professionals that can come in and work alongside them to kind of help help them uh, look for ways to do things it more efficiently is great. Um, but I, I wanna say with that, um, that I have a huge respect for anything that I'm going into to study what they do or try to make it quote unquote better. Um, I never come in with the idea like, hey, I'm an engineer, I know how to do these things better. Absolutely right. not. Nobody can tell you more about um, about work than the people who do it day in and day out. So it's, it's much like a partnership going in and partnering with them. Um, I'm, I'm very humble about it and go in definitely with the, the mindset that teach me about what you do. And then I'll talk to you about what I know and kind of what I see. And then let's go from there. So that's kind of the way we approach it. All right. And we are currently in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, obviously, the hospitals and healthcare systems have still been full steam ahead through this whole time. How has that affected your work? Um, so th that work has had to change because it hasn't necessarily been full steam ahead. So early on um, in the first kind of wave of COVID, um, a lot of hospitals shut down for um, for elective surgery. So it's kind of you know, your plastic surgery or your, you know, hip and knee replacements, you know, we wanted to keep folks out of hospitals, right, for things that they didn't need to be there for. Mm -hmm. So um, that, of course, kind of changed the, the way that business is done. And then, quite frankly, um, changed some of the things that we had to do as people who were still working, right? Mm -hmm. So um, whereas it was never part of my job before, during those first few months of the, um, the first phase of COVID, I turned into a, a donation coordinator. So whereas we had, you know, there was an outpouring of support from the community with food donations, uh, PPE donations, things of that nature. So I put that hat on and I was coordinating food deliveries for a while. So, you know, we do what you have to do to support those frontline workers who are um, saving our lives right now. Right. I want to go back to something you mentioned at the beginning. You mentioned that you waited a few years to um, enter the workforce after graduating. Mm -hmm. How do you think that that affected you in your career? Um, I don't think that it necessarily affected my career, but I will say that for me, it definitely made me feel like I needed to, um, for lack of a better term, climb the corporate ladder a little mm -hmm. bit faster than some of my my. Um, my peers, because, um, you know, I had, I, I was already older when I graduated and then I stayed at home for six years. So I was not young when I started working and it's kind of like, okay, how do I make up for this time? So I, I will say that if anything, it is, is made me be very much of a go-getter um, and kind of making sure that I, um, am a contributor wherever I work, right. That, that, um, that I am, uh, always showing my value and always kind of reaching for that next challenge that, and, and I've been blessed to be able to be uh, provided with those challenges. Yeah. And I think my, my reason I'd asking that was, I think that so often women kind of feel that pull between, you know, their work life and home life, um, even more so than men do. And mm -hmm. so I think that, yeah, it's, it, it, it's not 
often that you hear of someone in your position that did take time off like that and now has ended up um, in such yeah. a high You position. never could have told me that I would have spent any kind of time as a stay-at-home mom. I never thought that that was in the cards for me until mm-hmm. until I had my first kid and it's like, no, this is what I want to do with my time. And so, um, but it, it, it's worked out for me. And I think though, um, when I work with, with women who ask me about that, I always say, if that's a choice that you make, um, I always advise them to become very active in their professional uh, society. So whatever profession it is in, like while you are at home with your children, make sure that you stay up on what's most current in your industry. Make sure that people in your industry know your name. Like, you know, you want to make sure that you're serving on those boards if possible, because they're always putting on programs and things of that nature. So, um, and that also was one of the things that made my um, entry into the workforce much easier because it wasn't like I was coming from out of the blue. I was, I was very um, familiar with people in my industry and they were familiar with my capabilities from a organization perspective. I think that that's such a great, such great advice and something I don't know that I've ever thought of before Mm -hmm. um, to still stay that active, even while you are potentially staying at home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about what you're doing. It sounds like you have, you're in very much in a leadership role, um, both obviously within your own department, but kind of in what you do going out into the hospital as well. What do you think are some of the qualities that help you with that leadership? Mm-hmm. Um, I think being, um, I think being humble is one thing that, it, that goes a lot further than some people think, um, that it may, um, I think that being open to learn from anybody, and that's not just people who are above you, that's people throughout the organization that you work in. Um, I think understanding the value of what everyone does and making sure to be, um, vocal about your understanding of that value is is always good. Um, I think that allowing yourself to be challenged is, is something that's um, of great value as well. Um, you know, oftentimes opportunities are put in front of us and we may be a little a bit afraid and, and being afraid is okay, but being afraid is not a reason to not do something, right? Like I'm a firm believer in doing it scared. Um, Um, prime example is the fact that I'm the director of two departments right now. I am firmly a performance excellence person. That's my background. um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I know. And then when the opportunity to do this patient experience thing came my way, like I was terrified, but um, you know, I can build the plane while I fly it, I'll figure it out. And so that's kind of one of the things that I think that it takes to be a leader and someone that's trusted with new opportunities is to just say, you know, you, you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an important quality. Um, what has kept you in kind of the Detroit area? Um, I mean, obviously family might be part of that, but you know, what has kept you from going elsewhere? So I wonder, let's see. So, I mean, I guess, I guess family is a part of it. So I was born and raised here. My husband was actually born and raised in California. So I I imported him here. (laughs) Um, but there's just so much, I I mean, I guess it's, the Detroit area is like a warm hug for me. It's like, I know it. it, it's comforting to me, right? And that's even with the things that have changed so much in the Detroit area in the last, you know, five to 10 years, but it's still, it's still comforting to me. Um, it's also, I think, one of the places where you still can live well, <laughs> well, you know, without spending a whole lot of money, right? So right. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, 
is home. Yeah. That's not to say that I won't ever leave someday, but no. it's home. You know, it's, it's yeah. very, I'm, I'm comfortable here. And, and my husband is, you know, a transplanted Michigander and he's been here for over 20 years now and he likes it too, I think. That's good. He got used to the snow coming from California then. Yeah. After he did donuts in the parking lot when he first came and now he's over it like everybody else. <laughs> then we can claim him as a true Michigander then. Yes. Um, what advice would you give to a young person who's just starting out in their career and looking to end up in a similar position to you? Mm -hmm. I would say to, um, at, although I'm uh, totally uncomfortable with it, um, networking, right? Like mm -hmm. the more people you know, and the more people that you talk to, and the more people that are exposed to the value that you bring to your organization, I think the better. Um, I would uh, advise young people starting out to take risks. Like you're going to have a couple jobs that that might not go great but it's okay that's all things that add to your toolkit that tell you what you don't want to do in the future so I just think um taking risks um don't be super safe um don't you know don't be super safe take risks um put yourself out there um which is I don't know. I say this, but it's not something that I love to do. But it's it, it, it's it's something that I think is required to to move um to move within your career, which is to, to you know reach out to network. Again, I can and not stress enough. Um, professional organizations, professional societies and organizations. Um, I know sometimes they may feel like it's like, what am I doing this for? But I think they can be of great value if nothing else, to just connect you with people that you might not have been connected with who share a common a common um, interest with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's great advice. I think so often you hear the advice, oh, go out and network, go out and network. But I like that you're including ways to find those networks because I think mm -hmm. that that's often the common question is people say to network, where do I network? So Exactly. I and then also some great advice that somebody gave me was to network when you don't need anything, right? Like mm -hmm. some people think that, you kind of think that, you know, networking is like, hey, I'm Lonnie, what can you do for me, right? Which I, I learned a long time ago, that's not what networking is. Networking is, hey, I'm Lonnie, I, you know, do this, do that. Who are you? What do you do? Hey, okay, you know somebody that does this and you just kind of talk. Like, I think, I think we have been conditioned to think that networking is kind of, um, kind of like, snoozy and it doesn't have to be especially when you don't need anything so connecting with people when you don't have anything to ask for is great yeah all right well we are coming close to the end of our time here um we do typically like to end the podcast with what we call the lightning round which is five questions that we ask every guest that comes on the podcast um the the term lightning round does not mean that you have to answer these necessarily super quick or anything there's no time limit okay um, it's just an easy way to call these questions that we ask everyone got it uh so starting out the first question is what are you reading oh what am i reading right now um it's called um the body is not an apology. I don't know the name of the author, but I'm in a book club now and it's a super cool book. It's all about kind of um, body acceptance and it's really cool, but it's called The Body is Not an Apology. Might have to look into that one. Um, next question, what are you listening to? And that can either be music or podcasts or whatever it is that you like to listen to. So I have been listening to the Lovecraft Country podcast. Um, <laughs> That and then what I am listening to, what am I listening to? 
Um, I, so, so I, I have teenage daughters and I'm always like on the back end of the latest teen music. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been listening to a lot of Sir and Lucky Day now, which is what uh, my teen daughters have <laughs> let me know about. All right. Oh, and Mac Ayers. Ayers. I love Mac Ayers, his new album, 8-Ball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. What is your favorite restaurant in Detroit? Oh, and you can, can give a couple if you need can to. I give two? Okay. So I, so, cause I got my old favorites and then I just went to, for Valentine's day to prime and proper. And it was amazing. It was so good. So prime and proper is like my newfound favorite. Um, I would say some of my old standards are, um, I love the Cente's, the Cuban place down on library. Um, and I just recently fell in love with Penny Red's honey biscuits. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. I might have to go there. Oh yeah. Delish. Uh, next question. What is your favorite place to hang out or socialize in Detroit? Ooh, let's see. So I have always hung out, even as a little kid, um, mm-hmm. at the DIA. The DIA is one of my favorite places. I used to love to go there on Friday nights when they had the live music and the little drop-in art studios. Um, let's see, where else do we go? We go to Cliff Bell's. Um, well, we used to go, like we haven't been anywhere in a very long time. Um, Cliff Bell's uh, uh, Motor City Wine, we like, over on Michigan Avenue. Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Yeah, I know that's always a hard one right now since we aren't doing much going out and socializing anymore. But uh, And last question, if someone was coming to visit Detroit, what is the one thing that you would say that they absolutely had to do while they're there? Oh, Let's see, what do we always tell people to do? We always tell people to go to the Motown Museum to check that out, because that's like history, right? Mm-hmm. right? The waterfront, of course, like the Riverwalk, we have mm-hmm. to check that out. Um, Easter Market on Saturdays, if you can, if you can check that out, it's like one of our favorite places to be. Um, where else? We always tell people, I tell you, one of the, the restaurants that I always tell people to go to is Green Dot Stables. Like all my friends that come from out of town, like that's a place where everybody can find something they like and it's nice and affordable and it's a little cool vibe over there and the drinks are three bucks. Um, so that's cool. Yes. Um, yeah. What else do we, what else? That's about it, I would say. And the DIA, of course. And the Charles H. Wright and kind of all of the stuff in the little museum area. And then lately, too, the historical museum with the Detroit 67 exhibit that's there, um, which I heard they're making permanent, which I'm really excited about that. So we always tell people to check that out. All right. That's a great list of places to go. Uh, So that is all the time that we have today. Thank you again so much for being here. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. I appreciate it. Yes, of course.